Welcome, everybody, to Books with Cooks, a podcast for bookies and foodies. Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm Alex. And we're two cousins who are also best friends who love to read. Yeah. And I love to cook. And I cook to survive. We'll be reviewing, analyzing, sometimes overanalyzing, and discussing the books we're currently reading, as well as new and old recipes from our kitchen to yours. By the way, we're real people with real families. So you may hear cats, dogs, birds, babies, and husbands. So enjoy that bonus material. Now let's get booking and have a tasty chat. Listeners, stick around after this episode for some bonus content. Before we get started, we want to include some trigger warnings. This book and the following discussion will include topics of racism, violence, suicide, drug usage, rape, kidnapping, and death. So please be aware of that before you proceed. Also, just be aware that there will be cursing and spoilers. So if that's something you're sensitive to, or if you haven't read the book yet, you may want to skip this episode and then come back to it in the future. Snack attack. Welcome back to the snack. Hi, Alex. Hi, Jess. <laughs> How you doing today? I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm okay. How are you? What are you snacking on? I'm great. I am snacking on some sourdough pretzels, drinking some water, and uh, I'm feeling pretty good. How about you? Nice. I have some crackers with hummus. It's actually a three thing of hummus. It has black bean jalapeno, roasted vegetable, and a cilantro lemon. Nice. Triple hummus. A triple hummus, yeah. And I have some seltzer. No coffee today. In a little Mm -hmm. bit, probably. No, I had my coffee a little earlier, and I am good to go. So Nice. Uh, Yeah. So what's so, new? Uh, actually, I recently picked up something that is supposed to be good for positive energy. And it's this little pyramid. It has little rocks in it and some copper pieces. And I just wanted to talk about it because it seems to be helping. The second I sit down at my desk, I just get happy. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> That's I don't awesome. Know. Yeah. It's supposed to be good for anti-stress. It's supposed to be calming, good for strength and healing. So I really do like it. I think it does boost your mood. It's also supposed to boost your creativity because it has something in it called rainbow moonstone so it's supposed to help enhance your vision when you're fulfilling goals which i like and it's it's supposed to also give you good dreams if you leave it near your bedside good energy encourage hope enhance feminine energies sensitivity Hmm. intuition psychic abilities i mean there's a lot of things that are associated with this and i will link it so this way you can go and see all the benefits for yourself but it does have crystal quartz which it says it's good for energy flow copper dust and moonstone and they do have various other ones too so if you know there's certain crystals that you vibe with most they do have them available nice Uh, so you could always yeah i was thinking of getting another one for my bedside as well but i've been leaving this one by where we record so there's good vibes yeah good vibes for the the pods yeah and uh it comes with this little card too it's called ever vibes by the way and it gives us uh 10 facts about crystals and i thought that these were really interesting so i just wanted to go over them real quick so it says that the vibration of a crystal is unlike anything we know crystals hold memory better than humans. I had no idea about that. The first radio in the world was Crystal Set. 
The Christian Bible refers to crystals over 200 times. Crystals are actually found in the ruins of Babylonia and in the tombs of ancient Egyptian and Chinese rulers. Very interesting. Without crystals, computers, laptops, and cell phones would not be able to function. And without crystals, specifically quartz, watches wouldn't work. The majority of superheroes get their powers from a sor- some sort of crystal. I never knew that before. Mm. Uh, and crystals can send and receive human thought and emotion. That's wild to me that that's even possible. Yeah, and then the last, crazy. yeah. And then the last thing it mentions is a fact here is a quote by Nikola Tesla. In a crystal, we have clear evidence of the existence of a formative life principle. And though we cannot understand the life of a crystal, it is nonetheless a living being. That's interesting. Yeah. So all of that was really interesting. Yeah. I learned a lot about crystals. (laughs) Right? I think crystals are super interesting all of a sudden, old people. But I really, I think they're interesting and they have like lots of reparative properties and Mm -hmm. regenerative properties. So um, overall, if you need, if you're looking for some positive energy, this might be something for you to check out. So yeah, that's really cool you got it on yeah. amazon you said yes i got it on amazon as one usually does yeah on amazon. <laughs> and i really like it so far it's actually really pretty to look at too it and is. it's it's kind of like serves as a paperweight as well mm. uh it's got a little weight to it so nice it's interesting yeah i know you made some purchases recently too yeah book related purchases kind of yeah so i recently purchased so I had a reading pillow for about 10 years. I got it so long ago and it had a hole in it. And I was like (laughs) holding off on getting a new one because I was like, I don't need to buy a new one. But recently the stuffing was coming out of it and it was just really misshapen and it was no longer supporting me even. And it was starting to hurt my back. So I was like, all right, I have to just get a new one. I don't know why I'm not. It was like, I I was like, you don't need this extravagance. But I did because it was hurting my back. Extravagance. I know. But I I purchased a new one on Amazon. It's memory foam. I'm obsessed with it. I just started using it because it comes all vacuum sealed. You kind of have to wait for it to fluff up. But it is so supportive. It comes with a little pillow for your back or you could even put it under your legs. And it also comes with a little pillow for your neck. I'm obsessed with it. I love it. Plus, it's really soft. So if anybody's interested, we can link that on our link tree as well. I highly recommend it. It comes with a little table too, right? Yeah, it comes with a little lap desk. So if I am feeling lazy and I want to work from the couch one day, I can just put this little desk on my lap and it has a little cup holder in it too. So it's like a first world problem, but I love it and I'm obsessed with it. So I can't say enough good things about it. Yeah. You even said it had a pocket for your book and for your phone and stuff. It has a pocket for your phone or whatever else you want to put that's small, like in the front. And then there's another pocket in the back. I was like, oh "Oh, man, I know. And it comes with a little handle. It's great. I love it. And it's really soft. I think I'm going to pick one up for myself too. I highly recommend that. And then I also got, it's also memory foam, but it's a little holder kind of for your Kindle and it has two sides. So if you want it more inclined or you want it more upright, I found this to be one of the best purchases I've ever made. (laughs) This is so dramatic, but (laughs) I, I, I love it. So Especially with the Kindle Scribe, which is larger than the the one I had, which is the paper, the paper wipe. It's heavy. It has some weight to it. Plus, it's just in general, it's bulkier. So it's a little bit more difficult to hold with one hand, even though it comes with a strap and it, it puts a lot of strain on your wrist. Once again, a little bit of a first world problem, but this helps with that so much and I love it. So it's you literally just place it on there and it just it holds it for you and you can put it on your lap. You can sit however you want. You can even lay on your side if you're reading in bed and just put it up and just 
you know, swipe. Yeah. So I, I highly recommend it. It's two of the best purchases I ever made in my life. <laughs> I might grab one of those as well because the case I have for my Kindle scribe has a kickstand, which is great. But mm-hmm. when you're laying in bed, it doesn't work so well. Yeah. You know, and it like leans back a little, lean back. Lean yeah. Back. It, leans it leans back, back too, far. too far. Yeah. Lean so back. you do need some kind of little support. I've been actually just taking a pillow and propping it on there. Yeah. <laughs> <I think> this, <laughs> this makes more sense what you're using. So I'm it's really worth it. Look into that too. Yeah, I think it was like $15. That has a pocket too. So everything oh, is pocket. Oh, wow, does it? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you sent me the link to it and I seen they have a hot pink one and I'm all about that. Mm, so yeah. I'm probably going to scoop that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely scoop it up. So speaking of uh, scooping things up, I actually had to prop my microphone up higher today and it was on Shakespeare and uh, we started talking about Shakespeare a little bit because <laughs> yeah. it started making us think about the modern adaptations in the movies of Shakespeare. And we were talking about how 10 Things I Hate About You is based loosely off of uh, The Taming of the Shrew. Mm-hmm. And then you had brought up She's the Man is based yeah. loosely on Twelfth Night. And I was just thinking how funny it, it would be if Shakespeare <laughs> just like came back from the dead, like for one day into modern society. And everybody was just like, oh, William, you'll never even guess like your works are still alive and well. Look, we're even changing them up. And then they show him like she's the man. And I would just love to be in the room when that happens and just see Shakespeare's <laughs> reaction to she's the man. I don't know. I feel like that would be hilarious. There would be a lot for him. Him to uh to accept all at once left yeah. alone in his face because he'd be like what's a tv what is this box uh you know what i mean like bro you know by the way uh the global theater where you used to put your your shows on burned down and be like what Ooh. you know yeah. a lot for him to learn sadly i have a slight obsession with a lot of shakespeare stuff uh i've studied a lot of his stuff in school don't judge me anyway so <laughs> i know the facts but yeah uh speaking of facts Something, a uh, fun fact here about Shakespeare. He was married to a woman named Anne Hathaway. Oh. You might know Anne Hathaway as an actress. I do. I do strangely, know Anne Hathaway as an okay. actress. Okay, so- Strangely, he was, they had, you know, they really loved each other. And he made a joke uh, that uh, Shakespeare, that is, made a joke that his wife would come back in the next life. They would find each other again, but she would be the famous one. Anne Hathaway is famous and very strange. But if you look up Anne Hathaway's husband, he looks like William Shakespeare, man. Stop. Are you serious? Look it up up on your phone right this second. I swear to you, they look identical. Just type in Anne Hathaway husband Shakespeare and it'll come up. They look alike. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm going to have to do that (laughs) tell me that Shakespeare and Anne Hathaway's husband don't look very very eerily similar okay so they do look eerily similar it's not it's not just a like oh they both look like people they actually do have really (laughs) similar features (laughs) yeah and it's it's creepy too because there's a picture also of Anne Hathaway and the original Anne Hathaway and they have like the same eyes I disagree about the the Anne's But the Shakespeare yeah. and the, the modern Anne's could be a stretch, but yeah, her husband she, is. At... She has the name, so she doesn't need the face. Exactly. I want to see what her husband's name is because if it's Will, I'm gonna lose my shit. <laughs> no, it's Adam. Okay. Okay. That would have so, been that would have been a little much for me to handle. There you go. She got the name. He got the face. That's how it works. So and <laughs> she got the fame this time around, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Just a fun fact. That's interesting. And also creepy in a way. Mm, A little. Not creepy, but. Yeah, I know what you mean, though. Eerie. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good word. All right. So let's get into our word of the day. We had a good conversation. (laughs) Okay. It's time for the word of the day. Remember that we encourage our listeners to use these words in your daily conversations and with us on our socials. Each word of the day will come from 
the Word of Day Vocabulary Workbook by Francine Puckley or Franny the Pucks. Follow the link in bio to get a copy for yourself. Without further ado, today's Word of the Day is... Effervescent, spelled E-F-F-E-R-V-E-S-C-E-N-T. Pronounced F-E-R-V-E-S-E-N-T. It is an adjective defined as sparkling, lively, bubbly. For example, Myra's effervescent personality makes her a favorite guest at our parties. So Alex, let's come up with some more examples on the fly. Okay, so Pip had a very effervescent personality. She was very bubbly. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, I would say that Andy has the opposite of an effervescent (laughs) personality as we come to learn. Yes. Or at least she did. Yeah. At the New Year's Eve party that is referenced in the book, maybe some of the guests there were drinking some effervescent champagne. I do appreciate the company of people who are effervescent as they do add joy and happiness um, (laughs) and excitement to a party. Yes. So what up, Myra? Come hang out with us. All right, so here's some trivia about the word effervescent, used since the 1650s and comes from the Latin effervescere, meaning the action of boiling, more so than bubbly. Its figurative use for a personality that is lively and bubbly is from 1748, but it also refers to actual bubbles, as in champagne and also Alka-Seltzer's effervescent tablets that you might need the following morning. Mm. Myra partied just a little too hard. So as you all know, we are all about booking and cooking. So let's get into our ingredient of the week. This week's ingredient is... Tea, inspired by Becca's death cocktail for Pippa. Minus the roofies, of course. Of course. We will be making something using that ingredient to discuss in our potty episode, which will air on Thursday. Send us recipe suggestions on our socials and we may feature them in the future. No roofies. No refunds. <laughs> so let's tell you why we chose this book. A Good Girl's Guide to Murder has great ratings. Book Talk loves this book. And we heard that this series is fun, exciting, and filled with some thrilling plot twists. Plus, we were looking for a good mystery or thriller and needed a little bit of a lighter book to follow up Pretty Girls. Before we dive into our discussion, here's a plot synopsis so everyone knows what this book is about. The novel starts out with Pippa, a high school student living in a small town littered with dark secrets, who is working on a school project. The topic she chooses to pursue for her project revolves around the tragic deaths of two teenagers from her town from five years ago. The disappearance of popular pretty girl Andy Bell and the suicide of her boyfriend, Salil Singh. After Salil's body was found, Andy's phone and DNA was found on his body, prompting the town's investigation to halt and assume he was the killer. However, Andy's body was never found. Pippa knew Salil, also known as Sal, growing up, and he'd always been very kind to her, causing doubts in her mind that he could be a killer. As she investigates deeper into the rabbit hole of Andy's disappearance, she teams up with Sal's brother Ravi to seek the truth of what really happened five years ago. Along the way, Pippa's faced with danger, heartache, and suspicions among those she previously trusted, finding herself becoming threatened by those who are not thrilled to learn that she is digging up the past. 
and ultimately becomes thrusted into the heart of it all. So A Good Girl's Guide to Murder is a New York Times bestseller written by British author Holly Jackson, and it's the first novel that she ever published, though she had written her first novel at 15. She never expected to publish this novel, but was encouraged to do so by her family and peers since... And since then, it has developed into a best-selling three-part series. Jackson graduated from the University of Nottingham with a degree in creative writing and a master's in English. She primarily writes young adult psychological thrillers and currently lives in London. Her hobbies include playing video games, listening to crime podcasts, watching true crime documentaries, pretending to be a detective, and pointing out grammatical errors in street signs. So there's that. Yeah, there you have it. That's Holly Jackson. Let's get started by discussing the characters we encounter in this book, both good and bad. So who's your favorite and least favorite and why do you think Pippa was the right person to follow in this book? Okay, so my favorite character is Pippa. I really liked her. I thought she was really sweet and funny and intelligent. And I just really enjoyed reading this book from her perspective for the most part. Um, I think it made the most sense to have her be the person that we were following. She's the one doing this class project. She's getting all of the evidence. If it had been from somebody else's perspective, like Ravi, we wouldn't have had as much firsthand information about the investigation and what she was learning or what he was learning. My least favorite character is probably Max. He was he was a huge jerk. He was a really gross person and I hated everything about him. <laughs> so I he has to be my least favorite despite some other terrible people in this book, but he's the worst in my opinion. I hate Max and I hate people he represents in real life. You know, there's a lot of Maxes in this world and I think that he was uh, a realistic character and uh you know, you got to stay away from Maxes, keep your kids away from Maxes. We'll get into more detail about why we don't like this man, but just not a good guy. My favorite, I do like Pippa. My favorite overall, though, was Ravi. I really loved him. He's a multi-layered character. There's a lot of different layers and messages within him as well. But he's the one that made me cry at the end. Uh, I lost it when he does a speech about his brother. And I really just feel for him and his family throughout the book. Had it been written in his uh, perspective... I think it would have completely changed the tone of the novel. No one really wanted to speak with him. You know, he was faced with this horrible aftermath of being, you know, a a supposed killer's brother and guilty by association type of thing. And people were prejudiced toward him and his family also uh, because of their nationality. So um, I, I really enjoyed his character and his role in the book. And I thought they were a cute little team together. Uh, I really liked them both. Yeah, I liked watching them working together to figure out the the mystery of this book. So it it was it was nice to read. They were both good characters. Yeah. And Pippa was definitely the right person to follow because she's doing a school project. So uh, people are going to be more inclined to try to help her thinking that she's innocently doing this rather than just trying to dig up the past. Yeah. So good crime writers embed hidden clues in plain sight, usually slipping them in casually, um, almost in passing. Did you recognize any of these clues? And did you feel as though you were a detective yourself or part of Pippa's project or investigation? And how skillful do you think Holly Jackson was in burying these clues? 
She was skillful, definitely good because she definitely gives you a lot of these little breadcrumbs and some you pick up on right away, some you don't, some you're suspicious about. I was suspicious about everybody in this book. I didn't trust anybody. <laughs> I knew this was a mystery. I knew somebody was responsible. And let me tell you, even though people that aren't ended up being linked to the crime, people have a lot of dark secrets in this town and there's a lot of suspicious characters. So I'm hoping that the second part will reveal, you know, some more things about these side characters that we just get little breadcrumbs to. Uh, as far as me thinking it's, I was a tech detective. Hell yeah, I did. Okay. Uh, every time, every time I had this idea and this notion or suspicion on the next page, it would be Pippa's project and she would be confirming these suspicions that she had them as, as well. So it was cute because I felt like I was actually a part of her project, following her along, learning as she went. And then as far as picking up certain clues, yes, I did. So early on in the novel, I did suspect things about Mr. Ward, perhaps being the older gentleman that Andy had been seeing. Andy's the girl who was murdered in this book. Uh, I suspected him. I didn't know really what his role would have been at first, but I knew something had to be because when he was asked questions, he was a little strange about his responses. Uh, he was hesitant. Uh, he was also, while his daughter was being interviewed by Pippa in another room, as soon as they opened the door, he was there. He was like cleaning, you know, uh, suspiciously. He had coffee ready for them to go. Uh, he was a teacher in the school that took off that same day that uh, Sal actually supposedly committed suicide. So there was some strange inconsistencies about him and he never felt to me like he was a good character like not a good character but it, it always felt like he was a suspect and she ruled him out at some point so I was like why are you ruling him out you know uh yeah. in the back of my mind I felt like something was going to come about around sur surrounding Mr. Ward and I was yeah correct. yep yeah I I agree with you on almost everything you said so I also felt like a detective. I had the same thing happen to me while I was reading where I would highlight something and I'd be like, this is a clue. This is what I think. And then sometimes the next paragraph, it would be like Pip being like, oh, this is what I think about this. And I was like, yes, Pip. Yes, we're on the same page. <laughs> so it was it was a lot of fun to read from, you know, that that made it more fun to read because it was like you were involved, like it was almost an interactive mystery. And I think that Holly Jackson did a good job in burying everything. I did find some stuff predictable. It didn't impact my enjoyment of the book at all, but I, I did guess pretty early on that Mr. Ward was going to be involved. I went back and forth on whether or not I thought that he had killed her or if they were living a second life together. I thought maybe the, she, Andy was still alive and he was like literally living a double life where he, she was his girlfriend or something. Oh yeah, the Butterfingers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Butterfingers yeah. kept going missing in his household and his daughter kept saying, I know dad just bought them. So I knew they were going somewhere. We just didn't know where. Yeah, but there, there were a lot of little snippets. At one point we find out that Andy was saying, oh, I could destroy you if, if I wanted to about an older man and my an immediate thought especially because this was a YA was it's a teacher <laughs> like that was my first thought and that, that thought never left me and Mr. Ward is a teacher we did find out like you said that he was missing on the day that Saul was killed or, mm -hmm. or I'm sorry you know that he was found dead so I, I I always suspected him there were some other things that I had predicted throughout the novel that came to fruition and then there were some things that I didn't predict so overall I think Holly Jackson just overall did a really good job in this book and it was a lot of fun to read yeah because it threw me for a loop certain things I did predict about Mr. Ward and then later on I was just like wait what I didn't expect that though yeah so I like that yeah yeah so setting is also an important part of any story so why do you think Holly Jackson chose a small town for the setting of this book and how if at all would it have made a different impact on the story had it been in a major city yeah I think this kind of story makes the most sense to be set in a small town because 
In a small town, you don't have murders being committed almost daily where you might see something like that in a big city or just in general, there's people going missing often in the city. And there's just so many people that not everyone knows each other. So in a small town, you have the sense of community. If somebody does go missing, there's a sense of coming together and working together as a community to then find them. And I think it just made the most sense. I liked how we saw the different reactions from people within this community and you know what they thought about Andy, what they thought about Saul, what they thought about the whole thing altogether. And I think it just made the most sense because had it been in a big city, I don't think this sounds really sad, but I don't think anybody would have really looked twice for Andy because she would have just been another missing girl in the city. And in a small town where this doesn't happen and where she, you know, is this very popular, very pretty young girl that everybody knows from school and around town, it's much more impactful. So this was the perfect decision to set this in a small town and it definitely provides the most umph. You're an umph. You're an umph. I don't know why. I've never said that before in my life. I don't know why I just said that. <laughs> uh, well, I was going to sing a song, but I'm going to save it for the end. So, <laughs> okay. yeah, it had to be in a small town. It makes more sense for a book like this. Uh, Pip is able to find out more information easily. She has access to these people. These people, where are they going? You know what I mean? Most of the people are still in this town. If they did leave, they're back. Uh, so it gives her more access to, uh, you know, reopen this crime and investigate. Uh, it's also a small town. A crime is going to be remembered. It's going to be most impactful on a, a small town. You know, even five years later, people are still impacted heavily by this. Uh, and it's unusual for crimes. Um, so it's going to be, you know, something that uh, is still haunting a town. Whereas if it was a city, there's a higher population. So there's going to be a higher volume of crime. Like Alex said, you know, it's not going to be as impactful on the city because, People are just going to go living around their lives. People do come and go more often in cities where people, are, you know, tend to stick if, if they're um, from a small town in their hometown. So I do see that that's why she she chose the setting. And I think this was a smart choice on Holly Jackson's part. Yeah, I agree. So there seems to have been many potential suspects and motives for murdering Andy. It is later revealed that Andy was secretly dating an older man. She was selling drugs at what they called calamity parties, and she was bullying other other peers, such as Nat De Silva. Before you knew the truth, who did you suspect as the culprit of Andy's death? And what did you think about the older man and what role he may have played, if any, in her disappearance? And just in general, what did you think of Andy's reputation and the truths that were uncovered about her. So Andy didn't seem, and I'm not saying that she deserved to die, but she didn't seem like the best girl. And I think that helps set a tone for the story, but gives us a lot more suspects because more people had motives against her. Her selling drugs to students at parties uh, really becomes impactful in the story. And we learn a bit later that it impacts some people that ultimately comes back on her. And it's just not great. You know, it's, it doesn't make her a good person doing such a thing. I think she wanted to get out of this small town and not be a part of the small town life. I think she thought she was too good for this town. And she didn't care about what other people, you know, how, the, how that would impact lives if she was selling the drugs at parties. She certainly didn't care, care about the students when she's bullying them. She really badly bullies this one girl, Nat De Silva, and we learn about how it impacted her life 
afterward. She's a completely different person. She has like an arrest record now. You know, she she really went downhill and it was all because this girl had been pretty and Andy wasn't feeling that. She wanted to be the pretty one. She didn't like that. Uh, Nat got a role in the school play that she wanted and she blackmailed her basically to get that role from her. She wasn't a great person. Uh, as far as her dating an older person, an older man, I think that stems from her father who was basically emotionally abusive. She maybe didn't have the best father figure. Her sister ends up dating an older man later on too. So I feel like that might be linked. The older man, I did suspect Mr. Ward very early on, and I was correct with that. I didn't know if I felt like he had anything to do with Sal's death. That threw me for a loop. I don't think I, I thought maybe he killed Andy like you. I thought maybe she was hiding out somewhere or something like that would happen. I actually thought maybe she killed Saul at one point. But yeah. my main suspect, yeah, like her and uh, Mr. Ward were in on it or something. Uh, my main suspect, though, for a while until it wasn't <laughs> was Nat. Uh, I'm sorry, was, well, Nat could have been too, but um, I didn't think so. I, th I felt like that looked too obvious. But was uh, Max and Naomi, I really felt like Saul's friends that he was with that night were lying about the alibi situation. They were caught in some lies. Max wasn't exactly honest. Neither was Naomi. There was things going on there. And I kind of thought that uh, they were going to be responsible for a bit. But yeah, I didn't, I wasn't sure if the older man would play any, um, any role, but we do uncover some things outside of town. You know, there's like an inn that they went to and things like that there's a picture found i had some suspicions but i wasn't sure uh but yeah 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 i agree that andy did not seem like she was a very good person she was very selfish she was very mean at times cruel she held a lot of secrets she seemed kind of diabolical she did have a troubled home life so i'm sure that plays into it i agree that i think she and becca her sister both have some daddy issues <laughs> and she, overall I, as the clues started to be revealed about what kind of person andy was I don't know if I necessarily felt surprised, but I wasn't also predicting that. I didn't expect her to be as shady as she was. I, I kind of did suspect that she was dealing drugs at one point. They're talking about how she has all this money and they don't know where it's coming from. For a, a short a short while, I suspected that maybe she was prostituting, but then I I was like, nah, they can't. They're not going to put that into this YA book. <laughs> and I was like, it's probably drugs. So that that was true. The bullying was was definitely some of the harder things to read, I think, about Andy. I think that's where she really showed her cruelty. The other stuff, it showed that she was mean, she was selfish, and she did things that were morally gray. But this is where we really saw her just being, at times, just a flat-out bad person. And it was in her treatment of Nat Silva. So I, I liked I liked that Holly Jackson did this. I liked that we had what we assumed was this really sweet, innocent girl who had gone missing, presumably killed and dead. And it turned out that she really wasn't so innocent. She really wasn't such a sweet young girl. And it was nice to kind of see Holly Jackson playing with that theme. In terms of the older man, I was always suspicious that he was responsible. I always was suspicious that it was Mr. Ward. I didn't think that he was really involved in Salil's death. I really thought that Andy was alive and that she was responsible at one point as well. I really thought that she was faking her own death so that she could go leave this town and live another life with Mr. Ward or just in general. I also became very suspicious of um, Nat's older brother, Daniel, who had some type of uh, physical relationship with Andy at the time she was 15. He was working, he was also young, but he was still older and he was working as a janitor at their school. I was suspicious of him. He's now a police officer. He was responsible for the investigation of Andy's disappearance as well as Salil's suicide. And mm. um, another thing as well that we'll talk about later. So I was suspicious of him. 
There's also a reporter named Stanley who I felt was really shady. This is who actually Becca is dating in the book. He seems like a real jerk and we see him involved with one of the drug dealers in town or possibly the only drug dealer. I don't know. His name's Howie. And he's the one that was supplying Andy with the drugs and other people. So I was suspicious of the three of them, uh, Stanley, Daniel, and Howie. And I thought that there was some type of conspiracy thing happening there. We found that there's a link to them and Andy's dad. And then Max is also involved with them. So just in general, they they seem like really shady characters. And I was really suspicious of them right up until the reveals, pretty much. So... Mm. Yeah, I think Holly Jackson did a great job too, building up these characters and yeah. building up the suspense around them because, you know, you do get suspicious of, of the way how he responds to certain things when Pip is asking him questions, his his actions, but also, you know, his uh, Andy's car had been found on the street where he lives. So that helps you kind of try to rule, you know, rule him out a little bit. If you killed somebody, you're not going to leave the car like a block from your house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a Regina, those of you who haven't read this yet, kind of like a Regina George, um, only, you know, if she got killed, you know, Regina George wore army pants and flip flops. So everyone in the <laughs> town wore army pants and flip flops. <laughs> so of course, everybody is, you know, mourning this tragedy of this pretty girl, this popular girl. Uh, and she became a victim, uh, you know, her prior reputation and her labels had been forgotten. So it was interesting when she digs all this stuff up and she's able to find out who she truly was. Not Again, not that she deserved anything, but- you Right, know. yeah. No, of course not. That was a really good comparison though. She wa- It was like if Regina George had been murdered and yeah, <laughs> and everybody yeah. wants to find out what happened. <laughs> exactly. Nice little spin-off idea there. Yeah. So Pip uses several modern detective techniques during her investigation, including Facebook and finding a person's secret Facebook account, hilarious, Nancy Tango Tits, which was Max's <laughs> alias that we find out. So do you think Pip could have solved this case if she'd done so without modern technology? And what were some of the most effective ways that she keeps track of her progress? Yeah, I loved I loved this. I I think I had said to you at one point, I thought it was Nancy Tango Titus at first. And then yeah, I had to I had to go back and reread it and I was like, no, it's Tango Tits. It, it sounds like some viral illness. Yeah. I was Tango-titis. like, what the hell is this name? <laughs> but I really I don't know if Pip could have solved this without the use of technology. I mean, obviously, if we're talking about like no phones, computers and stuff like that, I really don't think it would have been possible if we're talking about Facebook. Again, I'm not sure she possibly could have. But at the end of the day, her main evidence ended up coming in the form of a photo that she discovered on Facebook that poked holes in the alibi for people involved with Saul. And that was really a linchpin in the investigation that really set off a whole series of events. And I'm not sure if she didn't have access to that whether she would have been able to solve this case. I think some of the most effective ways that she kept track of her progress, well, first of all, she had all of the information on her computer, and then she had two backups, and then she had more backups. So I was really proud of her for that, especially 17 years old. I thought that was really clever and smart, um, and I, I enjoyed reading about that part. I also liked that, so in the novel, you actually get what's supposed to be entries in her school projects. So we have summaries of her thoughts. We have transcripts of conversations that she's had. There's 
There's also flowcharts and map. And I felt that all of this was really effective as a reader. It seemed to be really effective for Pip as an investigator. And I just really, I, I really enjoyed all of it. I, I liked having it all laid out for me. The most effective way that she kept track, I, I would have to say is the summaries. I like that she kept the summaries that she could then reference and uh, revise as needed. So I enjoyed that. I also wanted to say I really liked Holly Jackson's choice to include this idea of a second Facebook page because this is a young adult novel. And I know even from back when I was in high school, people were doing this where they were either getting rid of their social media or they were making, you know, family friendly accounts that when they were applying to colleges would make them look like model students. And then they would have other accounts with weird names so people couldn't search for them because they're at the time, a lot of people were getting their acceptance letters revoked because they were seen drinking underage and stuff like that on their social media. So I really thought that this was clever on Holly Jackson's mm -hmm. part to include this Realistic. as yeah, as a real life scenario for what teenagers are really doing and what they're really hiding. And it's in plain sight, you know? Yeah, I, I love that she also chooses to have her investigating with modern technology and then also without. So I think that that's great. It sends a message also to young adults who would be reading this novel to say, hey, get off your phones. Sometimes back in the day, they didn't have any of this. Uh, internet and phones and technology and you'd have to solve a crime a different way. So when she does have to destroy her evidence, when there is a situation, a scene where she's faced with, you know, destroying her, um, her laptop and her data and she's forced then to get an old school board where she takes her threads and she posts all her information and stuff, just like an old school investigation. I really loved that part because I think that that was yeah. uh, great to bring it back, you know, to say, hey, you know, before technology, this is what was done and to explore both areas. I, I thought that was really clever on Holly Jackson's part. As far as her, you know, the Facebook account, like you said, it, it is realistic. I agree. And I think if she didn't have modern technology, it does show that at the end there, um, you know, that she is able to do it. Maybe it would have taken her longer. Maybe she would have had to, you know, go around certain things, take other steps. Uh, she could have done interviews in person the same way. You know, she just wouldn't have recorded them. Everything would have had to be like, you know, handwritten. Um, that's that's old school. That's how they used to do it. I mean, one of the turning points, though, is that she finds a photo. She enhances it. She zooms in and she she finds evidence of Sal's innocence. If she if there was no uh, picture posted on Facebook, maybe she would have seen a physical photo. But then again, if modern technology, you know, you take pictures on your phone. So if there's no phone, yeah. there's no picture. Uh, does this include photos, uh, you know, cameras? Because there are digital cameras as well. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, too, you know, the little uh, disposable cameras. So, I mean, there could have been other ways around it, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it would have maybe made it a little bit harder without Mr. Uh, Ward's confession. And the one part also that uh, she throws her phone with a GPS on it in Mr. Ward's car and is able to locate him. I think that would have been impossible. However, not impossible, really, because she could have just followed him, yeah. tailed him or something. So I think she could have done it without modern technology. It just would have made it a little more difficult for her. Yeah, it definitely would have been more difficult. Yeah. I had talked with you about this, how this really reminded me of Nancy Drew. Uh, I used to love that book series when I was a kid and she didn't have modern technology. It took place in the 60s. I mean, she had some technology, but they didn't have cell phones and things like that. And, you know, she was always 
solving these crimes and she was doing a lot of following of people and stuff like that. It's definitely possible. Even Veronica Mars, I got that vibe from this and she does a lot of that as well. So as you mentioned, Pip does uncover the truth of Sal's alibi via a photo that she examines on Facebook, which details how Sal had essentially taken the photo. So what happened was on the night that he, that Andy went missing, Sal and his friends were at their friend Max's house and they claimed that he left at 10 30 he had originally said he left at 12 15 but at 1209 which pip sees in the photo because it's on naomi's phone in the background all of the rest of them at this house were in the photo so there was only one indication which is that sal had taken the photo and was actually there at 1209 a.m meaning that he did likely leave at 12 15 a.m like he had said and that his friends had lied about him leaving at 10 30. so what are your thoughts on the discovery of this photo and what it implicates for sal's innocence Yeah, exactly what you just said. I mean, you know, she sees the photo, she zooms in, she cracks the case. It's 1209. How could he have left at 1030? So then there's a lot of uh, suspicion around why his own friends would lie about this. And we will talk about that soon as to the reason. But to implicate your friends as being a killer when you know that he was there, obviously he took the photo. I think he's also reflected in the mirror in some way as well. You see his blue shirt. It's yeah. mentioned. Mm-hmm. So it definitely, this discovery definitely proves to the reader and it proves Sal's innocence overall in the story uh, that he did not kill Andy. He was there when Andy um, was either being killed or something was going on with her during that time frame. He didn't lie to the police as his friends claimed. He did leave at the right time. It took him from 1215 to I think 1245 to get into his house uh, from a walking distance. So it definitely implicates that Sal was innocent and it was a turning point for the investigation for Pippa and Ravi. And it was great to see Ravi, you know, faced with this information to learn that his brother is innocent. Yeah, I found this surprising i didn't see this coming in the book so when we find out that all four of his friends had lied to the cops and he wasn't the one who had lied this was pretty shocking to me i was also very upset because that's a terrible thing to do we later find out that it's because they were trying to cover up their own sordid past and crimes that they'd committed and it really it resulted in the death of their friend and the framing of him for his girlfriend's murder. And it was really terrible. It was a really terrible thing that they did. I also at this point suspected that possibly Saul had killed himself. I thought maybe he was so shocked as well and maybe depressed or just felt some type of way about the fact that all of his friends had lied, taken away his alibi, and he knew Mm -hmm. that he would likely be framed for this murder. And so because of that, he ended up did you know, taking his own life. So that's how I felt after this reveal. Okay. So it's revealed that Max, who we already said was both of our least favorite characters, <laughs> purchased drugs at parties supplied by Andy and that girls at these parties, they may have been drugged and raped. So what did you think of this revelation and the implications it meant for all those involved? You know, Beck is revealed later to have been one of the victims of these interactions. As a result, she caused herself self-harm. So let's discuss these reveals and realities of this situation. I mean, how realistic do you think this scenario is? And do you think Holly Jackson was sending a message to young women by including this section to be mindful that these things do happen? Uh, Be careful of your surroundings and those you associate with. Yeah, I definitely think that Holly Jackson was trying to send a message. I do think it was really good that she included this in in the book because it does show that 
just because you're out with your friends and you're having fun and you think that you're invincible, it doesn't mean that you are. You can still be raped or assaulted in a house full of friends and people that you know really well. And I think that that was important. I liked that Holly Jackson included some other things in there. Like we had Pip who went to a party and she didn't want to drink. So she was pretending and then pouring the drink out when she, when she could. So all of these things I think were intentional by Holly Jackson. I think, I think it is an important message to be sent to young girls in terms of how all of this unfolded. I really, I mean, I'm not going to say I liked it because it's terrible what happened, but I did think that it was realistic. I definitely, we know that Becca had been a victim of Max's or at least somebody at the party. I suspect that Nat De Silva was also a victim at one of these parties. And it, it's extremely realistic for them to then turn to self-harm. Lots of girls who have been assaulted have turned to suicide. I once again, I don't want to say I liked it, but there was a point where Max said something along the lines of, oh, well, it wasn't rape. You know, she didn't say no. And, you know, it gives you some insight into what a person in his situation might think. And it also we have Pip explaining to him that that's, you know, she was drugged. She couldn't say no. So we have somebody confronting that as well. So I really liked that all of that was in this book. I think it was really smart on Holly Jackson's part to include all of that, because I once again, I think it just sends a really good message to young girls. I think all of this was really realistic. In terms of Max and how he was involved, this just furthered my opinion. I had already suspected that he was raping girls, so this just kind of confirmed it for me. Uh, it's unfortunate that Andy was the one that was providing him with these drugs and that it was used on her sister. But, you know, this is once again, it's a real thing that happens. So it, it's realistic, despite how sad it is. I agree. It's definitely realistic, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, and it's great that Holly Jackson is sending a message by including these things in this book because, you know, it sends a message of the implications of drugs, drug use, uh, to always, you know, be careful and not be so trusting of people. You know, the cyber effects of bullying, you know, victim shaming and all of these things that do occur to young adults. And, you know, high school, let's, let's face it, high school isn't exactly uh, the least toxic place. It's pretty damn toxic. And there's a lot going going on there when kids are coming of age, a lot of things being explored that they just don't understand or can't control yet. And there are sadly some people that do take advantage. Um, you know, Howie, for one, a drug dealer taking advantage of uh, selling to minors, Andy, who just doesn't care about other people and the implications that things will have on them. Um, so sadly, there's a lot of things that are involved in here, but I'm really glad that Holly Jackson sends that message. And I do think that these things are realistic. I do think that a victim of rape she would be harboring that information to herself. Maybe people wouldn't believe her. She's afraid to say anything. Causing self-harm. I could see that being realistic. I could see Nat's whole world being ripped apart by cyberbullying. You know, there's a lot of bullying effects, bullying uh, messages also sent in this novel about the effects and aftermath of that. So overall, I think Holly uh, Jackson did a really great job. And there's a lot of other issues too that she tackles. She manages to tackle a lot um, in one book and I applaud her for that. Yeah, she does. I agree with you. So one night while out camping, Pippa and her friends are confronted with a stalker whose phone is the only light in the darkness, proving that someone is watching them. 
they run after this person to try to catch them. They're unsuccessful. However, when they come back, Pip finds that there's a note in her sleeping bag warning her to drop the investigation and walk away. Later on, a similar note appears on her locker or in her locker, sorry. And then in addition to that, she starts receiving text messages from an anonymous source alerting her to stay away. Did you predict that these messages were from more than one source? And were you surprised when she ignored the warnings? And how did you feel when this event caused her to almost give up on her search? So I didn't predict at first that it was going to be two people. I really didn't. I I just assumed, you know, I've watched Pretty Little Liars and stuff. It's always the same person usually. So I just, you know, (laughs) assumed that this was somebody who was like, don't the the killer, because we don't know about Sal being murdered at this point. Uh, So we're just assuming that the killer is out there. He doesn't want her digging up information or she doesn't want Pippa digging up information. Uh, But then, you know, you do realize later, how how did you not realize that there was inconsistencies with the way that the the notes were written? You know, um, the physical notes always include Pippa's name where uh, the other ones do not. And uh, the grammar was off a little bit. And that's because we learned that the notes, the physical ones are actually from Mr. Ward, whereas somebody else was sending text messages to her. Uh, So I didn't predict about the source. Uh, I wasn't surprised knowing Pippa's personality that she didn't ignore the warnings. I was sad about what happened, the consequences to her dog. Uh, You know, it was very sad that, you know, she just she kept going. She had to destroy her laptop and all of her data, even though she did have backups. So this way she could get her dog back who'd been kidnapped and then her dog ended up dying anyway. I thought that was so sad. Uh, And I was really upset by that entire scenario. But she was willing to give up at that point, because she's thinking to herself, who's next? My little brother, my family. You know, they just killed my family dog, Ludo, the hurt and harm it caused to my family. And then Ravi just comes over and, and talks some sense into her. At first, he's upset. And then, you know, he comes back the next day and he says, listen, you know, we both weren't in the, our right minds of uh, thinking and we need to keep going because we have to prove my brother's in, uh, innocence. Uh, and I really like that she continues to push through in secret. You know, she just pretends that she quits the project, but she keeps going. Yeah. Yeah. I I did notice that there were inconsistencies in the letters and the texts, and but I didn't think that they were coming from two different people. So I did pick up on that, but I didn't really think much of it. I just assumed it was all coming from the same person. I thought that they were coming from Andy. <laughs> Um, But I did notice that in some of the letters, like you had mentioned, they were using not just her name, but her full name, Pippa, instead of Pip. Everyone tends to call her Pip. And I thought that that sounded very formal and maybe a little bit more like an older man, although I still I I didn't really put the connection together at the time. So I uh, I liked that. And yeah, I wasn't surprised when Pippa didn't ignore or you know when she chose to continue going i was like it made sense a for the book but also for her character but i was also very sad when barney the poor dog ends up being killed as a result of you know her continuing to try to uncover the truth and i thought this was realistic i i liked seeing her doubt after this because like you said she has her nine-year-old brother in the house she's worried for his safety this person had already broken into her house into her room left a message on her computer and then she was also really worried about ravi's safety as well so it made sense that she would say, okay, you know, I I need to stop this because my dog is already dead and who's going to be next? It could be me. It could be my brother. It could be Ravi. I can't continue to let people get hurt because I'm trying to, you know, uncover this. However, at the time she was also grieving 
she was sleep deprived. She was having trouble sleeping. So just in general, I really liked seeing the effects of this on Pippa. It wasn't like she was just this unrealistic, badass 17 year old who's out there like, I don't care what you have to say. I'm going to keep going. You know, at one point she really did doubt whether she should keep going. And I loved seeing that in the book. And I did love the way that Ravi was able to bring her back from that where, like you said, he was initially upset. He's like, you're not this girl. You're not the girl I thought you were. And then the next day he's like, I stayed up all night thinking about this and there's only one real answer and it's that you are the girl I think you are and you're just worried about everyone else's safety. And you know, they that's when they decide to make their murder board with the strings. And I, I just really enjoyed this set of, of chapters. It's later revealed that Saul did not commit suicide, but rather his death was staged. Did you suspect the same person responsible for Andy's disappearance or death would be the same responsible for killing Saul? How did you feel about the reveal of how the night of Andy's disappearance transpired and of Saul's brutal murder by Mr. Ward? Yeah, I... I really thought Andy was alive at this point. <laughs> I really still thought that she might be responsible for Saul, for Saul's death or that he had committed suicide. Um, so once we learned that it was Mr. Ward, I wasn't sure how I felt about this. To me, it seems like there was maybe some inconsistencies in the character here. They tried to, and, and maybe it's just because Holly Jackson did a good job of making him morally gray, but we have him being portrayed as this really loving parent and even you know as he's killing Saul he's doing it in what he deems to be a uh, nice way where he's kind of just comforting him and he makes him believe that he's helping him and helping Andy and to do that but also it, it just seems like he he had this accident with Andy he thought he had really hurt her and then all of a sudden uh, you know a switch is clicking in his head and he's collecting evidence from from under her from her under her nails or he's placing it under Saul's nails from the blood that he found on his desk. And it just seemed a little over the top to me. It, it didn't bother me so much in the book, but I, I wasn't sure really how I felt about it. Um, in terms of the disappearance with Andy, this is once again, I was like, she's still alive. I was like, she's still alive. I still thought that maybe he was having an affair with her. I wasn't sure, but I was convinced that she was still alive. I thought maybe after leaving you know, after she went missing, that she had teamed up with maybe uh, Howie and Daniel and, and that group of people, and then they helped her to escape. And then she was the one leaving the letters. So at this point, this is still what I was feeling. In terms of what happened to Saul, it was extremely tragic. This was a really good, bright young man whose life was ended because Mr. Ward was too cowardly to own up to his own actions. I understand that he was concerned for his daughters and he didn't want to leave them without a parent. His wife had recently passed away. However, that is absolutely no reason to kill someone else to frame them for a murder that you believe that you committed. So it, it was just a really tragic thing that happened to him. It made me feel really sad. And I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it really was tragic. And the way he does it is just so awful. I mean, he drugs the kid. He puts a bag over his head. He leaves him in the woods. So this way he's assumed to be the killer. Like Alex said, DNA under his nails. He leaves his phone on him. I thought the phone part was realistic. I, I just thought it was so brutal, uh, so un unnecessary that he did that, especially since he was a mentor to Saul. Um, and the fact that, you know, he can... 
he led him into the woods, Sal's trusting this man, you know, and then he's just um, setting him up for this murder that he believes he committed, even though he was responsible for a head injury, but he didn't um, actually hide Andy's body or anything like that, as we'll learn. So, you know, I didn't see, I didn't see this coming that, uh, that Mr. Ward was responsible for Sal's death. I thought it would be something related to Andy. It was. I didn't realize it was going to be the two of them together uh, like that. Um, I thought like you thought too, like uh, Andy's going to be somewhere. I thought maybe Andy was involved in, the, in this murder. Uh, and then we also had learned that Naomi disappeared from her alibi uh, and she didn't say anything. Uh, so I thought maybe since it was mentioned that Naomi maybe had a thing for Saul, cared about Saul, that, you know, maybe she was responsible for Andy's death. Um, yeah. So it was just sad. Uh, and it was awful um, that a, a teacher could, go to such great lengths so that anybody can go to such great lengths this kid Saul was explained to be a really smart kid with a great bright future and it was stolen from him that's sad yeah for no reason no and he was he did really you know I ruled him out early that he was a suspect for Andy's death because he called her like a hundred times the next day he really genuinely was looking for her he was really worried about her yeah um it's just terrible and it really made a bad impact on his whole family so yeah So once Mr. Ward has become a suspect to Pippa, she purposely leaves her phone in his car so that she can track, she can track him because she suspects that he's not being truthful about these tutoring appointments that he started coincidentally right after Andy's disappearance. Pippa follows him and it's revealed that Mr. Ward kidnapped an innocent girl that he thought looked like Andy and forced her into imprisonment in in the attic of his house that he owned outside of town. How did you feel about this reveal and just this scene overall as it transpired? So I didn't see this coming, even though I thought maybe Andy was being harbored outside because he it is noted, too, that pictures in his house are going missing. Those butterfingers are going missing. I'm like, OK, he does disappear three days out of the week. So he might be going to hang out with Andy and, you know, he's bringing her these things and decorating the house. What I didn't expect was that he was locking her in an attic and overall it wasn't even her. Uh, so he had hit her in the head, thought he was responsible for her death, and then finds this girl walking outside of town. Um, I think she fell into drugs. He explains it like he thought it was for sure Andy and that he was helping her, which you're leaving this girl in an attic locked away for five years. Are you really helping someone? Uh, but in his sick mind, I guess it justified the fact that it helped uh, erase his guilt and make him feel better about how it all went down. Uh, but it turns out that this isn't even Andy. This girl was just taken, her family, she's been missing for five years. Uh, and the sickest part of it all, if it's not sick already, is that uh, when Pippa puts her head up in the attic and she sees this girl, the girl says, hi, I'm Andy. So he's gaslit her to believe that she really is Andy and she isn't. Uh, so this was hard to read. I, a lot of this, I just, um, it was sad uh, that all of this went down and it really shows what kind of person we're dealing with. Uh, Mr. Ward deep down is just a scary dude. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't see this coming. I, when she was following him, I really thought the same thing. I was like, he's playing house with Andy. This is that double life. That's what I expected. When she goes in the house and she sees there's no furniture, I was like, okay, maybe he is keeping her prisoner here. And then when it was revealed that it wasn't Andy, I was just like, oh shit. I I do genuinely think that he thought it was Andy. I think it was his guilty conscience seeing what he wanted to see. And I don't think he necessarily thought that he was helping her. I, I know he claims like, oh, well, I helped her get off and stay off of drugs. But yeah, you kept her in an attic for five years. But I think this was all because he knew he couldn't let her go. Because if he did, then 
she would go to the police and she would explain that he's the one that harmed her and where she's been for the last, you know, however many years. This He found her shortly after um, this whole, you know, situation had unraveled. So I I just, was well, I wasn't expecting this. I think it, it suggested that this girl does look a lot like Andy. You know, Pip initially thinks it is Andy and then upon looking at her further is like, no, that's definitely not. She She's different now that I look closer. I've been looking at so many photos of her. This is not Andy. Um, but I think in his sick mind, Mr. Ward really convinced himself that it was. And he just, he couldn't let her go because then he would end up in jail. But he didn't have it in him to actually kill her. So instead, the solution was, I'm just going to keep this girl prisoner in my attic for five years. And I mean, how long did he really think that something like that could go on? And I... I wasn't sure how I felt about this, whether it had been Andy or someone else. I still think it's a little unrealistic that, it, you know, this is described as a pretty suburban area. There's neighbors. It's not an isolated street or an isolated house or anything. So I, it, to me, it just seemed odd that people wouldn't be questioning why he was going to this empty house three nights a week. I feel like people would be suspicious of that and want to know more about it. Um, so that's the only thing, but I liked the surprise of it. And once again, I was like, oh shit, Andy is alive. <laughs> she did fake her murder. She is out there somewhere. I thought at this point, I was like, she worked with Howie, Daniel and Stanley and they got her out somewhere. Like they've been sending the notes maybe, even though we do find out that Mr. Ward did send some of the notes, but the text messages were coming from someone different. So I was still convinced that this little group of them we're all working to cover up Andy's disappearance as her still being alive and just not wanting to be there anymore. Yeah. And this goes back to just good writing by Hallie Jackson because she, yeah. she puts these little breadcrumbs in there for us. You know, there was a drug phone, a burner phone, basically, that Andy was using for the drug trade situation and it went missing. So you assume maybe if nobody found it that Andy's still using it. Yeah. Uh, so this was one of those moments where I was like, I knew it. That turned into, oh, shit. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, so really, really good writing on um, Holly Jackson's part. I really I really liked this, uh, this reveal. I thought it was yeah. good. She did a really good job of having these red herrings thrown in there. So pretty much throughout the entire book, even if I had my suspicions, I was still like, well, no, it could be this person. It might be, you know, I'm still going to go with this, but... It very well could be any of these options. During the novel, many people who interact with Pippa show racism and animosity towards Saul's family and Ravi, assuming Saul had been capable of harming someone simply because of his nationality and appearance. Ravi's life is drastically affected just because he was the brother of someone labeled a killer. How did these interactions and prejudices make you feel as a reader? And did you find this to be realistic or overdramatized? Yeah, I thought this was extremely realistic, especially the fact that this takes place in a small town, I think made it even more realistic. I liked, I really liked the way Holly Jackson handled this topic too, because she, it really, it felt like this was really happening to a real person because mm -hmm. she had people that were very clearly prejudiced that were making some really disgusting remarks like Stanley just talking like an asshole. And then we have the woman in the grocery store who won't even touch Saul because of his ethnicity, as well as the fact that he was linked to, you know, his brother who she believed was a murderer. And then we had people that were more open to him like Pip and her family. And one of my favorite scenes in the book was towards the end when 
uh, Ravi and his family, his parents come to thank Pippa. And it ends with all six, uh, Pip and her parents and Ravi and his parents, all six of them just hugging. And I just thought it was so sweet and so cute. But it was wholesome. It was extremely wholesome. This whole book was very wholesome. And, but overall, I, I think that Holly Jackson did a really masterful job of handling this, especially in a YA novel. It made you understand Ravi and his family. It really made you feel how he was feeling in these moments when these things were happening. And I, I loved that we had Pip who was willing to fight for him and fight against injustice. You know, this brings me back to the Nancy Drew and Veronica Mars of it all. She's very righteous and wants people to be as good as she is. And unfortunately in this book, she learns that it's just not the case. A lot of people are not good. But it it was nice to see her still fighting for it. Yeah, I don't I agree with you. I don't think it was over dramatized. I believe that this was very realistic. And I agree. I like the word you use masterful. Hallie Jackson does a masterful job of uh, tackling very important and serious issues in this novel. And this is one of them. You know, uh, there's serious racism being shown toward Sal's family toward his brother. Like Alex said, in the grocery store, the woman doesn't even want to take his money. Like that's a little ridiculous, but this is something that's realistic. Um, You know, people uh, assume that, you know, you're guilty by association just because someone in your family did something wrong. All of a sudden, all of you are, are equally complicit. And that's just not the case. Not to mention there was an interview she does with this guy, Stanley Forbes, who we find out later is dating uh, Andy's sister, Becca. And he is so prejudiced against this family. And he basically says, oh, good. You know what? I never suspected anybody but Sal because, you know, he's Indian. Like, what does that even mean? Okay. It was just so off-putting and re- and hard to read, you know, and it's good that you felt uncomfortable reading it because these these things do exist today. Um, there are many prejudices like this, and uh, it's an important thing, and she tackled it really well, and including it in this is another layer, of, you know, just important things and messages that she sends to you, to you as a reader. So as a reader, I felt like it was important, and it made me sad. <laughs> I really loved Ravi. Yeah. And he didn't deserve any of that. In the end, his brother was not a killer after all, you know, and even if he was, he still didn't deserve any of that. Neither did his family. Yeah. So it is later revealed that Becca, Andy's sister, had been the anonymous texter threatening Pippa. She was responsible for the death of Pip's dog. And she was the real driver of Andy's car the night after having watched her die. So she went and hid her body. How did you feel about this reveal? And do you feel overall that Becca's actions were justified? Okay. So I did not see this coming that it wasn't Andy driving her car at the time that they said, because it was on camera that she left at like 1030. You know, you just think she's driving. And I didn't see it coming that she wasn't driving, that rather she was like in the trunk or whatever. Uh, I did not see her sister killing her. That was a shock to me. I didn't really expect anything from Becca. Early on in the novel too, it was interesting because there's a scene where Peppa, Pippa, uh, and her brother, they tie the dog up outside and go inside like a coffee shop and Becca's in there. Uh, and it kind of foreshadows Becca noticing that she has this dog. You know, I didn't ever think that Becca would be the one to take the dog. But in that moment, I felt an unease with the dog being alone outside. Like, oh, no, someone's going to kidnap your dog. They don't want you investigating because she had already gotten death threats and stuff. Notes, you know. Yeah. So uh, it was just interesting how Holly... Jackson threw that in there, made you feel that way. And then later on, it turned out that that was the person that actually did hurt her dog. So uh, great writing there. 
Uh, I don't know if I feel her actions are justified. I mean, that's your sister. Yes, people do really shitty things, uh, but they were both victims of emotional abuse from their father. Uh, they were both going through things. You know, Andy selling drugs is still going through something. She's making bad decisions because of some reasons that they don't really uh, dive into, but you can kind of figure out. And the same thing with Becca. Obviously, she is a victim and she paid the price of her sister's actions, but it doesn't justify Becca's actions. And it was really surprising to see that Becca wouldn't help her sister, but rather let her die. And that was just, um, it was surprising to me. I didn't expect that from Becca. When she was in, when Pippa was in her house and she gave her the tea, it was more than just getting the tea. You know, she was taking <laughs> tea that was poisoned. And that was an interesting, I really liked the way that was written too, because there was a scene also at the end where like uh, Pip is about to go under and like mm -hmm. um, you could see the, the, the letters or something keep scrolling down the page. And I really thought that that was kind of poetic and artistic, like the way that was written. And I liked that. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, I didn't see her as being uh, the one threatening Pippa or anything like that. All of that was really interesting. I liked this. I didn't see early on when we first meet Becca, I thought that there was something off about her. And I, I initially was like, oh, you know, there's something off with Becca. But then I was like, oh, she probably had been assaulted when she we learned that she went to the party. I was like, she probably was assaulted. Turns out she was. So once we got that reveal, I thought that's just what I was picking up on. I didn't think that there was anything more to it. There was also a scene early on. Actually, it wasn't that early on, but there's a scene where Pippa goes to visit Becca at the newspaper where she's interning and she sees on her computer, she's doing an article about preserving this old barn or, or something along those lines that the town wants to tear down. And I thought it was suspicious, but I didn't think for the reasons that were revealed in the book where that's where she ended up uh, dumping Andy's body into a septic tank there. I thought that Andy was alive and Becca knew and was harboring her there, like she was living there or something. So I, I didn't see her being the killer. I, I thought there was something off with her, but I thought that Holly Jackson did a really good job of diverting that concern and making me think that what was revealed about Becca was just what I was picking up on. So I really liked that. Do I think her actions are justified? I mean, no, there's really no justification for, for letting your sister die for murder. I do feel bad for Becca though because she did have a really troubled home life, just like Andy, they were sisters. Her father was emotionally abusive. She had really poor self-esteem. Her sister was emotionally abusive towards her. And then on top of that, she ends up getting assaulted. She has nobody that she can talk to. Her friends don't really, I don't know if she ever discloses to her friends that she was assaulted, but they just assume that she you know, had sex with somebody and then regretted it. She really had no nobody in her corner that she could talk to and really process all of these things that she was going through. And so, you know, she, she remarks at one point that she doesn't know if she actually made a decision not to help Andy. She just knows that she kind of froze and it did result in Andy's death. So she didn't really try to kill her in cold murder, but it, it still doesn't justify. Now, I, I still find it hard to believe that she wouldn't help her. However, she had just disclosed to Andy what had happened to her at the party. And Andy basically told her, it doesn't matter. I don't care. And so I just, I can understand Becca and I feel bad for her. I don't think it justifies it, but I, I do understand her. Where I don't understand her is where she then takes the body and dumps it in a septic tank. That seemed maybe a little unrealistic, but also over the top. And then when she's roofing Pip, I was like, this is way over the top. What are you, you're going to get rid of Pip? Or are you going to kill Pip? You know, at that point, I was like, okay, you're maybe a lot darker than we thought. Um, 
But she is because she killed the dog, innocent dog too. Although she well, does she say didn't that mean she to. didn't mean to, but she still was the reason he died. She, yeah. she kidnapped the dog. Which yeah, is so- but it, it was an accident. She yeah. she intended to give the dog back. The dog, it was dark out, got turned around, ended up in the river and, and did actually drown. But I mean, she still stole the dog too, which is pretty cold. So I mean, there's def- I think there's layers to Becca. I'm wondering if we will learn a little bit more about her because I... I know she says in the scene where she is talking about how she roofied Pip's tea that she got the the rehypnol from Andy Stash, but I also wonder if maybe she got it from her boyfriend, Stanley, you know, who knows? Oh yeah, there's a situation that's not really explained, but Pip does revisit it right before the end of the book when she's giving a, a presentation, she sees him in the audience and thinks about this. Yeah. So we never get an answer, but there is a, a moment in the book where Howie, the drug dealer, is re- confronted by Stanley and Stanley gives him an a, a envelope filled with cash and he's like, this is the last time. And we never get an explanation, so I think in the second book we should. Yeah. But I wanted to say it, it's interesting. Um, It's sad, you know, but it's interesting. Uh, Andy was a bully. She's depicted as this bully. Becca ended up being even the bigger bully. And it's it's crazy. But, um, you know, it's always the quiet ones, they say. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's sad because Andy was also not only did she disregard what her sister went through and say she didn't care, but she was supposed to stay home after her sister caused herself self-harm and watch her. And she yeah. just did not care. She blatantly disregarded that and left the house. Yeah. Andy is a selfish person. Yeah. In the scene, that part, I don't think there's any excuse for where she did choose to leave her sister. Once again, Becca just had no no one. You know, the people that she thought she could rely on, she couldn't. But the scene where she comes home and Becca is telling her, like, oh, I was assaulted. She did have a head injury and she was concussed. So I can also understand maybe her just being like, I, I can't I can't process this. Like, I can't think. Like, I don't care. I'm not saying that that's necessarily the right response, but I can also see her maybe just having that response as a result of the head injury and not as much because she genuinely was like, I don't give a shit about you. A loving sister would be like, oh my God, what happened to your head? Are you okay? Yeah. Not let me finish the job. Jesus. (laughs) Let me finish the job. (laughs) Oh my God. Anyway. That's a good uh, point. (laughs) So- what do we predict for the next novel? This is a, a part of a three-part series. Do you mm-hmm. think that a relationship's going to develop between Pippa and Ravi? And how has their relationship grown throughout this uh, investigation? Yeah, I, I love Pippa and Ravi. I think they're both great characters. I think they're well-defined and well-developed. I think they're really cute to read about. Once again, this was a super sweet, wholesome novel, and they were really sweet, wholesome characters. Yes. And it was really nice to watch their relationship bloom because- they start out as strangers. She goes to interview him for this project. He's the brother of this uh, young man who was, you know, she believed, committed suicide at the time. But then they start working together. They're kind of like in this investigation side by side. I loved watching how they protected each other and also helped each other to process all of the clues and come to conclusions. And then by the end of the novel, I think it's pretty suggestive that they are in a relationship. I think they kiss and they put their head like their foreheads together and just in general have some a couple of really sweet moments um i really liked pippa's speech at the end i loved ravi's speech at the end i got emotional during both of these and 
In terms of the next novel, I am hoping and I think that we will get more information on these players that I felt were shady in this book and have more of a story to tell. And that is Daniel De Silva, Jason Bell, who is Andy's dad, uh, Stanley Forbes, and possibly Howie or and or Max. I think all of these people are connected. We already know that there's a connection between Daniel De Silva and Jason Bell. We know that there's a connection between Daniel and Stanley. And then we know that there's the connection between Stanley and Howie, as well as Max through association. So I'm thinking that we're going to learn more about this. I think there's more to this whole drug business. And I'm excited to find out what that's going to be. Yeah, I'm excited to see where this goes. I already bought the next two books. I definitely want to read them. And, you know, I think that despite all of the major issues that um, Holly Jackson tackles in this novel i think it's great that there's the idea that another message something you know great can come out of tragedy uh you know it gives hope where there seems to be little hope you know uh in a bed of of the messages within this book uh so i like the idea of them being brought together by this experience being brought together by this tragedy um yeah you know, and I love that she was able to help clear his brother's name and 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 make a better life for him going forward because he was so impacted by this. You know, he's had a rough five years. Uh, not only was he not well, not only was he labeled as the brother of a killer, but he couldn't mourn his brother. And yeah. it was very sad. So for the next novel, I predict everything like you had said, you know, there's lots of breadcrumbs. I'm interested in more info. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the end when um, there's a presentation that Pippa gives, she says, I didn't do this alone. She calls Ravi up to the stand and makes him talk. And he talks about his brother and I lost it. That's where I cried. I was like, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to seeing how they're investigate. Uh, sorry. Well, no, yeah. How they investigate other things going forward. And also, um, you know, they seem to be a great team. I really like the relationship that they have been building. So I'm interested to see what happens further with them. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on the title? A Good Girl's Guide to Murder. Do you like, like it? it? Would you have changed it? Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Uh, you know, it is a good girl's guide. She is a good girl, you know, and she just wants to crack the case because she genuinely believes knowing Sal from growing up that he couldn't be a killer. He he seemed like a great guy. Uh, So she really wants to investigate this for to do something good. She wants to bring something good out of this. And she wants to prove that he's innocent because it seems to have just been glossed over when they found him dead in the woods. So uh, I, I like it. I wouldn't have changed the name. I think it's it fits the book well. Yeah, I really like this title. I think it's really cute. I think it's really nice for a YA too. It it just seems like something if I were a, a teenager or maybe, you know, young 20s, I would immediately gravitate toward that title. I did as an adult. So I, I really like it. I think it's cute. I think it fits the main character. I think it fits the book. And I, I wouldn't have changed it. So what do you think of the cover art? Did you think it fit the book, the content of it? Would you change anything? Yeah, I love the cover of this book. Um, so if anybody hasn't seen it, it's essentially what you would think of as a traditional murder board where it has the title on pieces of paper connected by pieces of string, which is reminiscent of the murder board that, uh, Ravi and Pip make after she's had to destroy her laptop. So I really liked that it, it fits perfectly with the book. It was eye catching. It made me think of blood. I think you had said that, uh, in another conversation we had that it made you first think of blood because the string is red. And I thought the same thing. And I liked that it kind of plays with your mind a little bit in that in that sense. So I I like it. I wouldn't change it. Yeah. I mean, it really it's striking. It reminds you of 
an investigation, exactly what yeah. you would picture in the old school, like all the detective shows and everything, how they have that board with all the, you know, evidence and everything is all threaded together. So I think it fits perfectly with the content. Yeah, I agree. All right. So if this book could be categorized by a song, what would it be? First thing that comes to your mind. Just a small town girl <laughs> okay. living in a lonely world. <laughs> All right. For me, <laughs> it would be Look What You Made Me Do. Look What You Made Me Do by Taylor Swift. <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> How about nail color? Definitely red. Hmm. I don't want to say blood red. I said that in the last book, too. But I would say maybe like, you know, a burgundy. Mm. Some kind of deep burgundy betrayal type of red. Okay. I was thinking like a, a fuchsia, like a really deep pink. Okay. Yeah. How about a cocktail or a drink? For some reason, I, I kept thinking of a latte. I don't know why. Maybe hmm. because I, I needed some warmth in this cold ass shit. There's uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of coldness in this town. And I just kept picturing them bundled up walking around with lattes. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't think latte, but it's funny because I was on a similar wavelength. I was thinking, do you remember the Dunkachinos? That's like half hot chocolate, yes. half cappuccino. That's Doug what I love those. Does, they were so good. But that's what I think this is because they're young. I feel like they still drink hot chocolate, but they also talk a lot about coffee in this book. So I feel like it needed to be coffee related. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Yeah. How about an item of clothing? First item of clothing that comes to mind a jacket, but I don't know why. Mm, okay. Mm. I was thinking like a really cozy mustard color sweater. Wow. Very specific. I know it is specific. I don't know why. I just imagine Pip wearing it, even though she's never described that way. She wears a lot of overalls for some reason. Yeah. I could be, it doesn't how we wear a jacket that has like orange inside yes. the collar or something like that. So maybe that's where, where yeah. my mind was going. Yeah. All right. How about a meal? Chocolate chip cookies. I don't mm. know why. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I think it does. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm going to say chicken fingers and french fries. Because of the butterfingers. Oh, I forgot about the butterfingers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ooh, chocolate chip cookies with pieces of butterfinger in them. There you go. Sounds awesome. All yeah. right. So finally, what about an animal? A rat. Oh, okay. Oh, we, we were thinking differently about these. I was thinking a koala bear. I don't know. I, I felt like this book was so cute. It, this book was oh, kind of okay. cozy. This book was kind of cozy to me. I don't know. This is kind of like a sweet, cozy read, despite the themes, because there are some heavy themes, but yeah, it was really very, heavy themes. It was very enjoyable and it was sweet. <laughs> Maybe I'm just sick. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, koala bears are adorable. I know. Uh, what I think that when I think of an animal for this, would I think it's adorable, this book, in that animal sense? I don't know. I mean, to me, it was kind of like, you know, there's rats amongst these sewers. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I was thinking That's more about the, the main characters. Yeah, and... you, you were thinking of how, how adorable their story is together yeah. also and like the, the, the characters. I yeah, was I was thinking, thinking a lot of Pip. Of the darkness. I'm in the dark here. I'm in the dark here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so scoop or skip? How many golden scoops are we given this book? All right, so yeah, this is a scoop for me. This is a good book, especially if you're into YA. It's really cute. It's very wholesome. Does it once again, despite the themes, um, I think that most people would enjoy this book. It's it's very cute. It's very 
it, it keeps you guessing. It keeps you using your brain throughout the whole thing. I loved that. It felt like a puzzle. The whole time we were reading this book, I felt like I was doing a puzzle. And I loved that. Um, I would give it four golden scoops. I did like it a lot. I didn't love it. And it's not something I think I would reread, but there were a couple of inconsistencies, a couple of characters I thought maybe fell a little flat, but overall, this was a really good book. I really enjoyed it. And I think most people would enjoy this book. I'd recommend it. I feel exactly as you. I would also give it four golden scoops and I would 100% scoop. Uh, I recommend. I would recommend the read to anyone. It's definitely cute. It's quirky. You know, even the book itself, the writing has personality. Uh, there's even one silly, silly little minor thing. I do love puns. Um, and there's this minor thing yes. where uh, <laughs> instead of Freddie Prince Jr., the printer is Freddie Prince Jr. And I just love that. Um, I think that there's really important message, messages and important topics tackled in this. And I think Hallie Jackson's writing is excellent. She did a great job embedding all of that. Uh, I don't know if I reread it, but I definitely want to read on and see what happens further in the next two books in the series. I already bought them. Uh, and I loved Ravi. I loved the characters. I didn't love the book. I liked the book, like you said, um, but I, I loved the characters and I really want to see what happens going forward with them. I do mm -hmm. care about them. Ravi made me cry at the end. Like I said, I love when I cry in a book, mm -hmm. um, you know, and then there was things I could predict, things I couldn't. So I really appreciated that as well, you know, and it was realistic, but in a fictional sense. So yeah. Um, Overall, I really did like it. If this becomes a movie, this is a movie I will watch. Yeah, or a uh, series. Yeah, or a series, exactly. Something I will watch. And uh, I would recommend it to anyone. Yeah, So I agree with you also. I did love the characters, and I did really enjoy Holly Jackson's writing. Yeah, I think she did a great job. Yeah. Holly All Jack right. Jack. Holly Jackies. Um, oh God. Okay. Oh, no wonder why I thought <laughs> of jacket. Holly jacket. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm sending us both to timeout. <laughs> All right. So there you have it. That's a good girl's guide to murder. Yes. Alex is going to go hug a koala bear now. See you later. I would love to do that. <laughs> Me too. We had a good conversation. <laughs> Next Tuesday, October 10th, we will be reading and reviewing One Dark Window by Rachel Gillig. Join us then for our thoughts on the young adult dark fantasy novel and join us again this Thursday, October 5th for another party episode. Don't forget to mark your calendar for our next book of the month episode, which will air on Wednesday, October 25th. We'll be reading and discussing Catriona Ward's horror novel, The Last House on Needless Street. If you haven't read the upcoming books but would like to, head over to the link in our bio and get a copy for yourself so that you can participate in our discussions. You don't pay anything extra, but if you make a purchase using our link, we get a, a small commission. So thank you so much for supporting us. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, it would mean a lot to us if you would leave a positive review on Spotify, Apple, or the streaming service that you use. We would be extremely grateful. And we would really appreciate it if you could spread the word by telling friends and family about the podcast. And we want to thank you to all of our listeners. We also want to remind everyone to be on the lookout for our live events on TikTok. Yep, we're planning to do some live events soon and we'll post upcoming dates on our socials. Just a reminder to stay after the episode for some bloopers and bonus content. If you're just tuning in, this is what you can expect from our podcast. We're going to be releasing new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. So be sure to check out our socials for updates and also some bonus content. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, and other platforms. Click on the link in our bio for access to all of our socials, our website, and other links. 
We encourage you to reach out to us with thoughts, ideas, questions, and feedback. You can email us at bookswithcooks at gmail.com. You can also find our full book reviews on Goodreads. These links will also be available at the link in bio. If no one told you today, you're important and valued. You belong here. You're doing great. And we believe in you. Now let's turn the page and put a fork in it. Because we're done with this one. Start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. <laughs> when you read, you begin with A, B, C. When you sing, you begin with Do, Re, Mi. Do, Re, Mi. All right. <laughs> Three notes just happen to be. Right. <laughs> I love you, Julie Andrews. <laughs> Glenn Coco. For you, Glen Coco. You go, Glen Coco. And none for Gretchen Wieners. Bye. Thanks for listening to my mommy and Aunt Alec. Bye.